You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. For this episode, my 103rd episode, we're speaking with a new friend of the show, Dr. Roger Smith, Chief Technology Officer, Florida Hospital Nicholson Center. Welcome to the show, Dr. Smith. Uh, thank you for having me. It's uh, great to have you here. So where are you today? What part of the country? I, today I'm in uh, Celebration, Florida, a suburb of Orlando. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful area. Well, um, I just got to uh, kind of meet you for the first time off air. Uh, again, true pleasure. I know that we uh, have many people, um, I'm sure, in common, and I look forward to carrying on our conversations past the show today. Um, but uh, but tell us a little bit more about your background and, and where you grew up, college, all that good stuff. Okay. So I grew up in a small farming community in southeast Colorado. Um, my hometown is Lamar, and most people ask, what is that close to? Mm-hmm. And I have to tell them, that's the big town that other things are close to <laughs> in that area. Very remote area. Um, and from there, I, was, uh, I felt a little hemmed in, so I was looking around for a university to escape to, and I started off by going to Colorado State University, and then on to Texas Tech in Lubbock for graduate school, and then finally uh, ended up doing doctoral work at University of Maryland. Sure. Excellent. So what was your passion for getting into healthcare and or technology or all the above? When I came out of uh, college, the computer revolution that we see now was kind of in early swing. Mm -hmm. And so everybody that had any kind of technology degree was being pressed into service writing computer software. And I found myself writing software for defense industry uh, products. So some some of the software I wrote was actually used during Desert Storm. And uh, some of it is used for uh, flying simulators of the F-16 fighter. And uh, that software kind of led me to ask questions of myself. Am I a computer programmer all the time? Or do I feel like I'm working only for the aerospace industry? Or is simulation really the the thing I want to pursue? And I started where those three entered. Uh, overlapped, and I decided simulation was the thing I wanted to pursue. So I spent a couple of decades writing software for military simulators for the Army and the Air Force primarily. And from that, we started to look at how simulation can be applied to medical applications in the Army. And that led me to getting to know people at Florida Hospital and the Nicholson Center and their interest in having uh, more simulation technology in the training of surgeons. Mm -hmm. And 
so I decided it was a good time in my career to jump out of defense and jump into healthcare and see if I could bring some of the technology and the expertise that we had developed in the military into the medical sphere and, and help promote that. Terrific. What year was that? That I jumped into healthcare in 2010, so I've only been in healthcare for seven years now. Okay. Well, that's getting up. We've obviously, you're, you're part of a lot of the evolutions. It, uh, it's evolved a lot even since 2010, so I've been in it since 96, but I mean, even in the last, uh, what you learned in 96, even in 2005, it's all changed even from 2013, 2014. So you're part of everything now. So you're a veteran. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever serve in the Army or were you just a um, civilian? So I had two different kinds of, always a civilian, never uniformed. Um, I worked for defense contractors, like the big companies like Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman at yep. first. And then I did a stint as the chief scientist for all of U.S. Army simulation for four years. And a lot of people say, and I would agree, that in the simulation field, that's the best job that exists in the country. Uh, the, the caveat with that is it's an appointed position, yeah. and you get to keep it for four years, and then you have to leave. <laughs> so at the end of four years, I decided it was time to come to healthcare. Sure. No, you joined healthcare at a great time. I, um, yeah, I was on the other side of that coin. I served for eight years in the in the infantry um, and uh, communications units, but um, it was actually the best uh, best decision ever made for myself was to join the army. But it was at a very young age, at the age of uh, 17, 17 and a half. I couldn't go. They call it quote unquote downrange until I was eighteen and graduated high school. But then I went to the military, came back, did college and all that good stuff. But um, I'm sure you uh, you enjoyed your time with the Army, like I did. Yeah, they're great people to work with. What, one of the things I learned from the Army was just don't quit. The, in the Army, the, the bosses I worked for, there was no such thing as we can't do this by the date you <laughs> asked for it. They're very mission-oriented. The mission says that on this day, you will have this capability, and you will. I, I couldn't agree more in that philosophy. Is That's why I was... I say it's the single best decision I ever made for myself was join the army because um, it gave me so much, not only self-confidence, but that mission, that drive, it's really made me a, a successful entrepreneur and has helped me in, in so many different scenarios. And I, uh, I thank the army for that because I didn't have a lot of that before the army. So that and uh, yeah, that and God is what I give all my uh, success to. So um, that's a, a great story. So let's, when we're talking a little bit off air, um, one of the topics very near and dear to my heart is telehealth and virtual care. So, you know, what are your thoughts there and what do you see? Um, let's tackle that first. So what do you see coming and, and some of the evolutions there? Yeah, so I think telehealth is about to really change the way we engage with healthcare. And when you look backwards, you don't see a lot of mobility and personalization. But I think if, if you move forward a few years and see where it goes, it'll be obvious that we were on the cusp right now um, and we'll kind of question why we didn't make this jump sooner. So today, tell, I mean, healthcare is very much a face-to-face, person-to-person engagement. And certainly there are always cases where that has to be the way healthcare is delivered to people. But I think there's a lot of space for intermediating 
using technology. And the, the, I think the best way to explain it is to go through a little example. So if you're at home and you fall off of a ladder and you have a, a pain in your ankle and you don't know if it's broken, if you've pulled something, if it's just sprained, you don't know. Well, right now, if you want professional help, you have to go to uh, one of the you know, quick clinic kind of places, or you have to go to the ER. And I think that's going to change so that the first thing that you'll do is you'll use your cell phone to call up a telehealth app and get a live connection to usually a nurse practitioner. And she'll have your past medical records on file so she can see your history, how old you are, um, if you have any osteoporosis issues. She'll know that kind of thing out of your records. And uh, then you'll describe the pain to her and you'll use the camera on your phone to show her your ankle and to roll it and to do, go through all the movements that she's going to recommend. And she can see whether it's black and blue. And from that engagement, she'll either decide that you're fine and some ibuprofen will take care of you, or she'll recommend that you go to urgent care or an ER, or in more serious situations, she might actually have to call an ambulance for you. And that will be your first point of care, would be telehealth. And then you would go into one of the systems I just described, maybe urgent care or ER or, or an ambulance will pick you up, and you'll enter the healthcare systems as we know it today. And when you're finished with that engagement, um, you check out of the urgent care, out of the ER, you'll go home and you won't be done with the healthcare system. Because right now when you go home, yeah. the healthcare system in a person-to-person -person sense, it doesn't have the manpower or the time to keep up with all the details of your case. So you'll log into the app on your phone and you'll keep your phone updated on how your ankle is coming along. And you'll also keep track of whether you're compliant with the doctor's directions. Are you resting, icing, compressing, elevating, um, and how much? Are you taking the drugs they gave you? So that the system will know if you're compliant with your instructions. And they'll also know if anything, if you're developing a blood clot or more swelling or something like that. And the, just from entering some of that into menus, the system will know whether they need to have a healthcare pr uh, provider call you and get you back in and talk to you. And so I think you'll get much better care because of telehealth, but you'll find that you're engaging face-to-face -face with other humans much less. Because a lot of the stuff that you need to track yeah. is just better handled in digital data than it is by writing it on a paper form or telling it to somebody verbally face to face. Too much information gets dropped that way. Yeah, I, uh, that's, I agree. I think it's about to happen in telehealth. Yeah, I agree completely. I um, I literally just uh, this week saw a very cool device. So kind of even taking what you said, and then there's a, there's a they, Lenovo just well, I think I just saw this Lenovo device literally that um. It clips onto your Android phone, and not only is it a is it a um, telehealth device because you can obviously it's a phone. You got uh, your camera, and you can talk to your care provider. That's part of a system, um, but also it's got a it's got a finger pressure cuff, so you can do blood pressure 
You can do um, Proximiter. I mean, there's got all these different um, uh, innovations inside that just track your vitals uh, and you can automatically share it back on a daily basis, hourly basis, whatever, whenever you do your vitals. Um, and uh, it's a virtual care assistant, basically. And, and I completely agree. And you can send that information back or wherever it needs to go. And when you're out of boundaries, then a care provider can contact you or an automated system can say, hey, did you take your lisinopril this morning or did you take, you know, Lizartan or whatever it is? Um, and you don't even need the body, the human to do that. And you can have premium care, proactive care instead of reactive care. I completely agree with you. So, yeah, that's right. You know, I've seen a device that's essentially an ultrasound wand that pl plugs into your phone. Mm. And so you can actually ultrasound yourself. Now, this is not approved. Nobody right now, the medical system doesn't want individuals ultrasounding themselves. But the right. technology make that possible. Yep. Yep. No, that's excellent. So obviously, we're talking about you know telehealth and this then we're which transitions cleanly and right into virtual care. So, do you have any other thoughts on some of the virtual care components? Obviously, you mentioned you know proactive care, which is right now we have an extremely reactive healthcare system, and we're reactive patients. But I think we're right. as consumers, we're shifting pretty quickly. To, uh, to being proactive. I know that I certainly am because every day I pay more for my healthcare costs. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm becoming, a, you know, square in the eyes of as a consumer, not just a patient, but a true consumer of healthcare. But I'm, I'm becoming very proactive because I don't want what, the, the costs of being reactive. What are your thoughts there? Right. Yeah. In, in, term, in terms of proactive, the, my family physician, he encourages me every year to come and get a physical because over time, he says, I have history of you, and when something changes with you, I can compare it to the last five years and know if that's a significant event or not. And I think with mm -hmm. the, some of the IT that you'll find in telehealth, you're going to be addressing that very question, yeah. but the connection is not going to be once a year. It could be as frequent as once a day, once a week, once a month, but much more frequent. Yep. And so much more responsive and much more observant of your situation. So the principles that the medicine has been promoting for a hundred years are just being enabled so that they can be practiced on a daily or weekly basis instead of a monthly and annual basis the way they are right now. Um, if you come to a hospital now, we have a huge amount of IT that yeah. hangs on data about you, big IT systems, yep. but what we don't have yet is the personal IT. And so the, your personal cell phone or your home computer are really not part of the healthcare IT infrastructure, and I think pretty soon they're going to be. And that's going to help a great deal in addressing people uh, more often and more frequently and addressing them hopefully with automated systems rather than relying on more and more humans to talk to. So, yeah, and, and I completely agree. And you've touched on this a little bit, but what are your thoughts on the future of health? I know that uh, in general with like the, the big innovations that consumers can expect to see, what are your thoughts there? So at the Nicholson Center, we have a specialty. Um, the thing that we're most known for is being the preferred training center for robotic surgery systems. Hmm. And for the last 15 years approximately, when you said robotic surgery, you almost by default meant 
the Da Vinci robot by Intuitive Surgical. That's been a hugely successful and beneficial surgical device, but now it's not the only robot available. So we currently have three different robotics companies that use us as a training center and several more that we're in the process of signing deals with. Hmm. And I think what you're going to see is when you do get cared for, this is very specific to surgery, that there'll be a lot more robotic intervention. And the purpose of the robots that we see now are not to replace humans. Instead, they augment humans. And surgeons are enabled to do procedures um, with more finesse, fidelity, accuracy, less blood loss, things like that, because the, the robot intercedes in between their hands and the patient's body. But there's, the robot is still guided by the physician. So I think you'll see devices that are labeled as robots becoming much more prevalent and showing up in much more um, or many more different kinds of care, especially many more surgical procedures. Hmm. So I guess picking on that and, and um, taking it to the next level, what advancements are we going to continue to see there, do you think? Because um, obviously this is this – is is this, I would say it's in its infancy in a way, but obviously it's been maturing through many years. But I guess, what advancements are we going to continue to see there? So, so some of the things I can't say, but I think I'll share some things that I, I think I can say. Yeah. Um, one of the most exciting players in robotic surgery right now is a surprise entrance. Um, it's Google. Ah. So Google has a business that they own called Verb Surgical. And Verb is teamed up with Johnson & Johnson to create robotic technologies for surgery. Now, they say they may not, that may not um, manifest itself as a brand new, completely finished robotic system, but it will manifest itself as technologies that get built into other people's robots. And being Google, one of the things that they're really interested in seeing if they can have happen is for their machine learning software to come to understand surgeries better mm. so that the machine itself can do a few things itself. So the surgeon could ask the machine to throw a particular kind of stitch and it could do that several seconds uh, maneuver without the surgeon having to do it. Wow. So that, that's a little science fiction-y, uh, but it's, that's, that's what we're looking at for the, the next 10 years, something like that. Sure. So going, coming down the science fiction perspective a little bit, but not really because I'm watching this today, and it's, it's certainly part of healthcare and lots of other industries. And I know that you're, you're an expert here in the simulators and their virtual reality. I've seen gaming, and actually I just had a meeting this morning with a gaming company who's helping with one of my investments in healthcare. And what are your thoughts there, or what's your perspective on gaming and, and helping virtuality helping healthcare? I think you touched on a little bit with the Google, and I'm, but what, what else do you think there on the virtual reality side and simulation side? In medicine, you could talk about gaming and virtual reality and simulation, and they all kind of come together in, in product. I think you'll see a lot of that showing up in the training of 
healthcare providers in general and surgeons in particular. Because the right now when you want to teach somebody um, a clinical skill, it usually has to come from human to another human. And it gets taught differently depending on who the mentor is or who the expert is that's conveying the information. Sometimes the information is different, sometimes the way of communicating is different, and the measurement of how well you learned it is all different. And if you can create a simulation where the person engages with um, a, a game or virtual reality, and they're measured according to the same standards every time. And so everybody can be measured on their progress according to the same metrics, and they have an infinitely patient tutor at their disposal. Mm -hmm. So that simulator will sit and work with you for as long as you like. It doesn't ever get tired or bored or called away on another mission. Yeah. It's totally focused on you. So I think you'll see a lot more of that um, in training clinical providers. Yeah, and I, the, the side that I completely agree, and I think the side that I get most engaged in is on the usability side. Gaming, you know, they've, they've mastered the art of keeping one's attention for hours on end. And yeah. usability in health IT has always been a task. It's always been um, kind of a sore spot uh, in our industry, and not for everybody, but for a large part. And so I think we could learn a lot on the usability side from the gaming industry, and that's usually when I when I engage. But I, I completely agree on the training side and the patient side, and not getting frustrated and all that. It's just there to, to help. Whenever you need it, it's there, um, and it's consistent. And it, and it and from a best practice standpoint, which we need more of in healthcare, in my opinion, best practice. It's always the best practice. It doesn't sway until it's changed. So that's another thing. There's no right. um, you know variances uh, that come in place with a lot of individual type training. So. I, uh, yeah, exactly. Completely agree. So you've had a pretty cool background, and I like this. To, I like to ask this question when I can of my guests. What are you most proud of over the over your career, and what and things that you've been able to change? Um, part of the military, healthcare, or just be a part of in general? What are you most proud of? So I thought of two uh, that, that align with that: one in healthcare and one in the military. Excellent. And I guess since the military came first, I'll give that one first. Um, when I started in military simulation, the computers that ran simulation centers and big wargaming exercises um, were literally, they, they filled rooms. They were big mainframe computers. And those kinds of computers, or at least that kind of big infrastructure, was still common when I was in my Army job from 2006 to 2010. And one of the concepts that I was really pushing was that the war games that we were running on these big computers could all be run on laptops because the computing power of a laptop was equivalent to one of these big computers. And at the time, that idea was, it was just kind of mind-shaking because you said that's, it's so hard to see that that's true. And today you can see those kind of games running on not usually a single laptop, but a little cluster of laptops or a, a small cluster of computing cores. Um, and I, I helped to promote the fact that that was possible. I didn't get to build it with my own hands, but I did get to push it from a senior position that that's an idea we need to pursue next. That's excellent. Excellent. And then here in healthcare, um, 
I actually got into the healthcare field because of a pioneer named uh, Dr. Rick Satava. And Dr. Satava, when he gets a hold of you, you almost by default become um, one of his apprentices or, or apostles. <laughs> and I've, I've kind of been drawn into his circle and have helped to develop a thing called the Fundamentals of Robotic Surgery. So the fundamentals of robotic surgery is meant to be a standardized um, 101 course in how to be a robotic surgeon. Hmm. It's the first course somebody would take if they're coming out of residency and want to be a robotic surgeon, or if they're an older practicing laparoscopic surgeon and they want to convert. And he helped, or I got to help him, he helped me yeah. um, contribute to creating this curriculum um, that we're trying to push as a national standard for training robotic surgeons. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. So um, got about 30 seconds or so left. And I love this is a question. This question I ask of all my guests. It's actually become its own segment now. But it's usually inspiring. But what is your favorite place to get or be inspired? The, the place that's most effective is running. I, I love trail running outdoors in the woods. And I can run a, a, like a marathon in the woods for four hours, and your body has a lot to do, but your brain is pretty free. Yep. So that's a place where I can think about big topics for hours at a time and finish the race and have to find a notebook to write down everything that I thought of in those four hours. We are aligned. We, um, I run every other day or so, not trail running though. Um, but, uh, but I love to run and I want to run outdoors. I run through my neighborhood, a lot of Hills here in Buckhead in Atlanta. And, um, I, same thing. I, uh, actually get to, um, think a lot. And when I get back, I'm always writing. I always have emails to send or texts to send when I get back from my run. So we're aligned there as well. Well, Dr. Smith, thank you so much uh, for joining the show today. Um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, and, uh, and thank you to everyone for listening and joining us today. Please tune in weekdays, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. As always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustIn so we can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all my content will be posted on my website at JustinBarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week.